And Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord, and desire the heart of worship to be our heart, that our heart would be representative of our worship of you. That, God, that we would not go through life only knowing you at a distance, but that we would instead go through our lives knowing you up close and personal. That we would be able to have a personal relationship with you, Father, to be able to worship you and to be able to recognize how great, but also how important you are for our life. Father, I pray tonight that you would just give us the wisdom to be able to see that if you are in control of our life, that it will be successful. It will be significant. It will be meaningful. That God, when we put you on the throne of our lives, things seem to start working the right way. God, we're just going to take a moment to sort of do that in a way, Lord. We each have brokenness, selfishness, what the Bible calls sin in our lives. And Father, we're just going to take a moment, each of us, to go to you and just ask for forgiveness. Whatever there, we need a clean slate. We need to start all over again. We need to be refreshed by your mercy, Father. So we're just going to take a moment, each of us individually, to go to you, ask for forgiveness for anything in our life that doesn't need to be there. Let's just do that now. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and we thank you that you are faithful and that you are kind and that you love us so much that you are willing to forgive whatever that we do. Father, that we are able to come and know you, to have relationship with you. Father, that even in our, the midst of our weakness, that you are at your best. Father, we pray this tonight that your Holy Spirit would be in our lives, would be moving us forward, transforming us, allowing us to grab hold of the power that you have for our lives. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the end of our series that we've been working through, our three-week series entitled, Is God Dead? We've been talking about this issue of the living agency of God. What does it mean when we say that God is alive? Is God dead? Or is God alive? This is the question that we've been asking. The question I want to ask tonight uh, deals with that issue. I knew that this series was going to be a challenge for us because when we did the uh, when we did the first week of the series, I went to a bunch of life groups and um, I was challenging everybody's ideas about what it means that God is alive. And when we, I was in life group, I mentioned it a few times, and I was like, "Do you know that God is alive? What is the implication of that for your life?" And everybody's like hmm, God is alive. Yes, God is alive. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And everybody's like, I know that God is alive. And I'm like, well, tell me what that means. And so I realized that one of the challenges of doing this series um, is that a lot of times we in the church, we have been told that God is alive and we understand that God is alive. But what it means and what we're actually saying when we say it, though, is lost on the average churchgoer. So we've been developing this series and developing this idea of God is alive because if we say that God is alive, there is a very important and significant factor 
that comes to bear when we make that claim. If God were just sort of a watchmaker God who started the world or an idol for whom didn't really have any feelings or opinions about us, then it would be one thing. But God is very much alive. He is very much a person. And this is an issue that we'll take up. Tonight we're going to do something a little different. Um, I'm not going to sort of take a text and dig through it. I'm going to look at some practical aspects of how we can get God to work in our lives. Of course, having said that, that's not theologically very good language, right? That's not very good biblical language. We don't get God to do anything. But what are the factors that seem, that the Bible seems to say that we as people can use to encourage people to work, to encourage God to work in our life? Well, our, our series is the living agency of God. Let's break it down and get us all up to speed. Here's our strategy over the last couple of weeks. The first week, um, we talked about the living and the dead, and we compared God, who claims to be a living God, with the idols in the Bible and the idols in our modern world, which are dead. In the ancient world, people used to bow down before carved statues, whether it was be a big carved statue uh, made out of steel, or well, they didn't have steel in the ancient world, but wood or bronze or something like that, um, or whether it be, you know, like Russell Crowe and Gladiator, you know, he had, if you watch the movie, he had those little tiny idols that he would carry around with him, or whether it be in our modern society where we have idols such as celebrities or our Prada handbag or watching the Olympics above all else or football or soccer, whatever. We have idols, and there are some differences, by the way, between modern idols and ancient idols, but these idols all are similar in at least one way, which is they are not alive, and the power that they have over our lives is simply the power that we give to them. That is the only power that they have, the power that we give to them. We talked about this issue of God being alive. What does it mean? If we say that God is alive, it means that he is very different from an idol. If we say that God is alive... It means that God is a person. It means he has an opinion. It means he has feelings. It means, as we talked about the first week, how do you tell the difference between something that's alive and dead? If you poke it and it moves, it's probably alive. If you poke God, will he move? Will he respond? If somebody poked you with a stick, would you like it? Probably not, right? Unless you, they thought you were dead and they were trying to wake you up, maybe in that situation. We poke God all the time, and so the question becomes, are we doing what's good in our relationship with God or, or is there something else to that? So we talked about this living, issue, this living nature of God, how God is alive, how he uses a name, how he uses characteristics to describe himself, to make sure that people understand who read the Bible that he is alive. Last week we talked about the acts of God, and we talked about that even though in common English parlance that things like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes are acts of God, that in reality, those are not the primary acts of God. The primary acts of God, as we see from the Bible, is God's desire to know and relate to people. That seen principally through him sending his son Jesus to, to be our savior. But everything else, all inclusive of that, is God trying to show people he loves them, he wants to have relationship with them. He wants them to live their lives according to his plan, not their own plan. So we talk about the acts of God. The greatest acts of God is his mercy and his love towards people. That's the greatest acts of God. That's bigger than hurricanes, bigger than tornadoes, bigger than anything else. One of the challenges, though, as we talked about last week, is how Christians respond to God and how Christians treat God. Because the average Christian, I believe, treats God as if God were an idol. In fact, we had a magic lesson last week. Can you believe that? You come to a Christian church and we're talking about magic, right? 
But here's the thing. What is magic? The definition of magic, the technical definition of magic, is the manipulation of a deity to get what you want. The manipulation of supernatural forces to get what you want. That's what you do when you cast a spell. Here's the thing. The average Christian treats God as if it were a spell or an incantation rather than a living God to whom they want to talk to and have a relationship with. Why do I say that? Because the average Christian goes to church on occasion, makes an offering, does something, they put their offering before God, they try to say the prayer the right way, they try to, they, okay, what words do I need to say? What, what motion do I need? Where do, how do I need to be standing? Will God hear me if I do it this, you know, oh no, I said it wrong, oh man, does that mean I have to start all over again? What do I do? But my friends, that's much closer to the definition of a spell or an incantation than it is the definition of a prayer. We talked last week about prayers being just communication with God. We're going to talk about prayer again. God does not want us to treat him like an idol. When we treat God like an idol, it offends him because he is not an idol. That's why the Bible says sacrifices is not what I desire. He doesn't want us to just treat him like an idol that we can buy off. He wants us to know him, to love him, to have a relationship with him. That's what he wants. So we're going to pick this up this week um, by asking this question of how, the, well, we're going to talk about the heart of God's acts. You know, what, what's at the heart of it? What causes God to move in our lives? Or more specifically, the question will be asked, what causes God to work in our life? What causes God to work in our world? I mean, if God's a person and we are able to know him, what are the things that we can do to encourage him to work in our lives? If you're here today, every single one of you, whether you're an atheist or a believer or anything, if God could work in your life, you would want him to do it. If for nothing else, then you'd be like, God, a million dollars right now, throw it here, right? That's what we would do, if for nothing else. Now, hopefully that's not your prayer, and we'll talk about why that won't work a little bit later today, perhaps, but... Um, but as we go through life, all of us want God to work in our lives. We all want God to work in our lives. But the question is, how does God work? What are the things that will encourage God to work more in our life? Glad you asked. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Again, we're going to look at four practical things, um, and we're going to skip around the Bible a little bit to see, see what the Bible says. First idea, we must pray for God's action. Now, this seems like a no-brainer. But we're going to talk about why, where the problem comes in, because in order for God to work in our lives, it seems like, well, I won't say in order, because in order is really wrong. For us to be able to approach God so that he may work more in our lives, because he will, he will do what he wants to do, so there's no in order that. But if we want to approach God or do something so that God will work more in our lives, prayer is definitely going to be one of the big things, right? That we pray and ask God to intervene in our lives. Again, here's the problem. For most of us, prayer has become a ritual, rather a spell, an incantation, something along those lines, rather than a personal communication. What is prayer? Prayer is a personal communication between us and God. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot speak to God and demand that he do that. That's not what prayer is. If you watch people on TV, they will give you the impression that if you pray, that God has to answer it, as if he's a monkey in a cage, and when you tell him to jump, he, will, he must jump. But that's not the way it is. Because God is a person, he's living, he has an opinion. God has an opinion, by the way, about your life before you were ever created, and he'll have an opinion about your life long after you're gone from this world. 
That's the way God is. That's who he is. God has an opinion. He has a plan. He has an idea about what he wants to accomplish in this world, what he hopes that you will do with your life. He has a lot of different ideas because he is a living God. When we pray, we go to him and we encourage him. We ask him if he will do something special, do something more, do something in this situation. And so when we pray, it is really good that we do it in such a way that God will hear. The problem and the challenge, again, is that most Christians pray to God in a way that offends him. And it's not because they say the wrong word, it's because they're trying to say the right word. Can I say that again? You know, if you have someone who you're a friend with, then, yeah, you try to say the right word a little bit, but you just, in the end, you just say what you need to say. And that's what the relationship that God desires for us is to us to just to be able to communicate with him and not try to make it into something more than it is. You know, Jesus criticized the Pharisees, right? Because the Pharisees were praying on the corner. I forgot this this morning. This is a great passage for this. But the Pharisees were praying on the corner, right? Because they wanted to say the right words for people to hear. And of course, Jesus hated that because they were just doing it to show everybody else that they prayed. But he said what? That when you pray, just go by yourself in your closet and then make your petition known to God, right? And so what happens is God calls us to pray and praying will cause God to act more in our lives. The Bible says this, Matthew 21, 22, you can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. Now here's the problem with this verse. This verse doesn't really have a problem, but a lot of people take this verse and they misuse it. All the people on, a lot, well, I would say all, but a lot of the people on TV, you know, send $10,000. If you send t- all this money, God's going to give you back money, right? If you pray for it, God's got to do it. But the problem is this has to, this comes, really, this has everything to do with spells and magic rather than a biblical view of God. Because spells and magic are designed to keep a deity enthralled and to have power over them. You know, like the voodoo thing, you know, you have power over someone. That's the way that works. But I'm sorry to say, none of us have power over God. God is the power in the universe. We don't have any power over God. Our only hope is to be able to see what God is doing and get on board with what God wants for our lives. That's our only choice. By the way, that's a good choice. Why? Because God's plan for you is better than your plan, and his plan for you involves you having an abundant life here on earth and eternal life in heaven, among many other things. But when we talk about this verse, this verse raises a lot of problems. You can pray, at least it seems like, because you can pray for anything. If you have faith, you will receive it. Is the verse trying to say, is the Bible trying to say here that if I pray for a million dollars and believe it, that I'm going to get a million dollars here? Well, I just don't have enough faith, right? You hear that all the time. People say, oh, you don't have enough faith. Well, let's talk about what this means. Talk about faith. The second thing, oh, let me just mention a side note before I talk about faith. Sometimes people ask, what about fasting? Fasting goes along with prayer. Fasting is just simply a way to focus prayer. You know, we fast and pray at times to, to, uh, to be able to focus in on our relationship with God and encouraging him to help us in a specific situation. Well, let's talk about this issue of faith. We must have faith for God's action. If we pray and we have faith, then anything can be done. But here's the problem. The problem is when we define this word faith. And let me, let me just kind of break it down for you here because when we have faith, faith is something that we believe in. We say that we have faith in God. The problem is, is that, again, how we define this word faith and what we mean by it. Let me give you an example. 
One of the problems that most Christians encounter when they go to worship God and they go to pray to God is what they mean by faith that he can make something happen in our lives. Most Christians have faith in the power of God, but they lack faith in who God is. Let me give you an example. My wife is not here because the kids are home sick, so I can talk about her and say anything I want to, right? But that would be unwise because my wife has a lot of power over me. Oh, yes, she does. She has the power to make me happy. She has the power to make me very sad. Yes, that's what she does. Ladies, you know that to be true, right? You can make your husband very happy. You can make him very sad. My wife has a lot of power over me. I believe in the power that she has. Oh, yes, I have faith in that power. I know that if I treat her well and and love her and do things I should do, uh, then she will treat me well. And if I don't do the things well, she still treats me well because she's a nice woman. No, I don't know. You know what I mean? But I have faith that she has power over my life. But that's not the kind of faith that she wants to have me to have in her. She doesn't want me to have faith in her power. She wants me to have faith in her as a person, as a woman. She knows she has the power, but the faith and the belief she wants is not I believe that she has power, but that I believe in you, honey. I believe in you. I believe in you. Do you see the difference? It's not, you know, pretty close because we can believe in the power of God in general and totally miss having faith in God as a person. Because why? Because God is a living God. Because he is a God who we can have relationship with and whom we can know. Again, people that are on TV, they appeal to the God of power and they are appealing to your sense of power and understanding. Listen, if you go out there on the street and ask people, does God have power? Most people who believe in God will say, well, yeah, I mean, God's got power. They believe in the power of God. They don't believe in who God is. And that becomes the problem. When the Bible says that if we pray for something and believe that God, believe in God and believe that he will do it, that's true. But it means that we are trusting in Christ. We are trusting in God that we believe in God, not just for his power, but believe in who he is. Because without us believing in God for who he is, there is no power. You know, the Bible mentions Abraham. It says, you know, Abraham believed God and God, it was given to him, it's credited to him as righteousness, right? One of the most important verses in the Bible. And it was the power of belief, not in the power of God, but in God himself, what God himself would do, who God was, that allowed Abraham to be made right with God and allowed Abraham to have his life change in a very radical way. We must have faith for God's action to take place in our lives. The Bible says this, in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who what? Who believe him. This is the critical part, right? Everyone knows God has power, but the power that God has for his people is very different and very specific and very, much more powerful as well. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What is this power of God for those who believe? Is it some kind of world creation type power? No, because this is not specifically speaking of this issue here where it says that this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. What is the power of God to work in our lives? 
Again, we talked about through the Bible, and I gave you this example last week, but everybody would probably think that creation is a big, powerful act of God, but yet creation, if you weren't here last week, is what? How many pages in the Bible? (laughs) This, This much right here. This is creation, right? About this much. This much is what? God showing his acts of love for people, his mercy, his long suffering, his desire to know people at any cost, even if they reject him like a million times over, right? This is the power of God. The power of God is that he loves us so much, even when we were sinful people, that he was willing to send his son to be our savior and our redeemer, that he was willing to see us redeemed. This is the power of God. And when we say that we have faith in God, when we say that we believe in God, we are believing in him as a living person whom we can know and whom we can love, whom loves us and who we can love and have a covenant relationship with. This is the power of God working through faith. So when we say that it's necessary for us to pray and for us to believe, it is completely necessary for those, us to do those things if we expect God to work in our lives. Now, here's the problem. If I were to just stop right here, message over, let's go home, everybody would be like, oh, I feel good now in my heart. This is easy. I can just pray and have faith and God's going to answer my prayers and everything's going to be great. But that would be a lie. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you right now, I can't send you home now. And in fact, I'm going to make everyone upset now that I've made you happy. All right, everybody's happy because everybody thinks, oh, I can do those two things. But now I'm going to make you unhappy. All right, Um, because if we were to go out and, um, and ask people on the street, what, what do you need to do to make God do stuff? And again, I know that's not good theology, good Bible, but just in English. What do you need to do to make God do stuff? If you ask average people, people would probably say, well, you got to pray. I think everybody get that one. Uh, they would say, I think if you had to nail it down to four, I think they would say believe or have faith. I think that would be in there. Go to church, I think would be up there, and give money. I think those would be the four that most people, my opinion, uh, um, would say. But those are not the four that the Bible gives. The Bible does give prayer and it does give faith. But there's two other things that are quite a bit more of a challenge. The Bible says that we must obey for God's action to take place in our life. Let's look at this. We talked about, we mentioned this verse very briefly last week, knowing I was going to cover it more this week. First Corinthians says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. And you see, when we live the way that God desires for us to live, it opens the door for God's power to come into our lives. Listen, last week I gave you the example of surfing, right? We talked about how the power of God works in our world, and I gave the example of a tsunami, right? Because it's the biggest wave, it's the biggest power. And the problem is many Christians, they see the wave of God working in the world because the wave is a good analogy. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's a good analogy in some ways because the wave is way more powerful than us. And it's coming way before we see it. It's gone way after us. It's God's going to do what he's going to do. That's the wave, okay? But what happens is, is that many Christians, they see the wave and they say, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm gonna try to uh, manipulate the wave, but that doesn't work, right? I'm going to try to grab hold of the wave and, and make it do what I want to do. Like, give me a Ferrari. I mean, you know, I pray a lot. Shouldn't I get a Ferrari? Come on, wave, give me a Ferrari. Doesn't work, right? Um, You know, we try to harness the wave. We try to do everything to get the wave to do what we want. But instead, really, the only option that we really have is to do what? Just surf the wave. Just grab hold of relationship with God. Grab hold of his hand and just let him take you wherever he's going to take you. 
That's all, that's the only choice you have. I'm sorry. You know, a lot of times black and white, you know what I mean, is the Bible, but not really because there's lots of black, gray, and actually a lot of gray areas, you know, in the Bible too. In America, we say black and white, and other, I don't know, in other countries, but, but this is one of those, it's not like black or white, it's just black or just white. I don't know what you want, just white, right? Surf the wave, that's it. That's your, that's your only option, option A. Steak, steak, or steak, that's it. Or it'd be chicken, chicken, chicken. That's, that's all your option, right? If you want to know God, if you want to know God, you just have to get a hold of that wave and surf it. But here's the problem. Many of us in the church, you know, we want to experience the power of God in our lives, but we're too committed to doing other things along with it. Now, I am not a surfer myself, and I am not going to fall for Ramirez's joke from earlier. I asked on the second service, who here is a surfer? And he had been through two services already. He said, me. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, oh, surf the internet. No, I'm not talking about that, right? (laughs) Yeah, okay, good one. He's funny one time in a year. All right, very good. Oh, I know. Okay. Um, right, surfing, okay, on the board, in the, in the water. That's what we're talking about here. So when we surf, I guarantee you that you cannot surf and do other things at the same time. You can't surf and worry about your day planner. You can't surf and have your Crackberry there trying to email your boss. You can't surf and do all kinds of other things, worrying about what's going on, your kids. Uh-uh. When you're surfing, it's you and the wave, and you got to do everything that you can to stay focused on that wave. But we in the church, we do what? We expect God to work. We want to catch the wave of God in our lives. But at the same time, Monday through Saturday, we, ignore, we tend to ignore God, right? We're doing other things. We're committed to other things. But yet the Bible tells us that the power of God comes when we live our lives according to his plan. That when we are committed to him, we're following him. That is the power of God. Living by it is what allows the power of God to come in our lives. Again, we could use an example of a marriage relationship. There's other relationships that would work here. It doesn't have to be a marriage relationship. But, you know, if you're, if you're married, um, you know, it's like if you go to your spouse and say, Honey, I know that you have power over me, so I'm going to, you know, pay attention to you one day a week or... I'm going to give allegiance to you every now and again, and I want to get all that I can get good from you, right? Would that work? No, it wouldn't work there. If you you can apply it to your boss, you can't do that with your boss. You can't do that with anyone. Here's the problem. If God is an idol, idols don't care because they're dead and they don't have opinion or personality. But if God is alive, if you only go to God when it's convenient, it offends him. And it hurts his feelings. Now you say, but doesn't God love me and I can hurt his feelings as much as I want and it's no big deal? <clears throat> no, because he's living. He's not an idol. This is still idle thinking. It's still idle thinking because idle thinking says that God is just going to do whatever we tell him to do. He's just the monkey in the cage. And when we do something, he's going to respond, but he doesn't. God already has a plan. He's already going to do it. The wave of God is surfing by you right now. And you have to decide whether you're going to get on board and surf it to the end or whether you're just going to try to fight with him, argue with him, whatever. Did I share this last week? I may have. Did I share the story of of going into hurricane waters? I don't know if I shared this last week. I'll share it again. Um, I think I did in at least one service. But when I was younger, uh, there was a hurricane off the coast of Virginia and I foolishly decided I would go get in the, in the water, 
and, and see, you know, try to do some, you know, I wasn't a surfer, but like uh, bodyboarding or boogie boarding and that sort of thing. And uh, it was crazy because, by the way, don't ever get in the ocean when a hurricane's off the coast. Just for, that's, I, maybe that's self-apparent for some of you, but uh, it, I guess it wasn't when I was, you know, when you're young, when you're like, I was like 20 and you're like, oh, you can't die. It's, you know, you're, you're not going to die. Forget all the signs that say you're going to die. You can't die. But here's the funny thing. If I didn't tell the story last week, the waves at the time were actually very small. You know, just, you know, very small waves, Atlantic Ocean, just very small waves, right? I mean, they, they, when I went in, they were just coming up to my, my thigh. But the wave, once I got in, past my ankle, and I, I, I walked into the ocean, and the, here comes the, the thigh-high wave, right? Knocked me down. Flat. Knocked me down. I tried to get back up several times, kept knocking me down, just like I was a rag doll. You would think a wave this high wouldn't be able to knock a person down, but oh yeah, it can Oh, yeah, I can. Because the power of the wave is not the size of it. It's the, the energy of it. And we think that we can harness it. We think we can do other things. We think that God is just going to be like, you know, doesn't care. He's not doing anything else. But the truth is God is doing great things in our world. And he's calling us to live our lives as if that were true. And live our lives as if we're serving him rather than serving ourselves, first and foremost. That's going to be a challenge. But you know what? Here's another challenge too. We must be weak for God's action. By the way, if you're a guy here tonight, weak does not mean sissy. No sissy, okay? Not sissy. I, I, this is one of the things that frustrates me because I think churches do a bad job of, of communicating the gospel to men because being a follower of Jesus is not being a sissy. In fact, it's being a lot harder um, than just living your life however. But when, so when the Bible says weak, it doesn't mean sissy. But what does it mean? The Bible says that we must be weak to experience God's action in our lives. Hey, you know what's funny? Remember how I said most people would say prayer is the way that we experience God's action in life? I didn't look at every single verse in the Bible with a fine-tooth comb over the last couple weeks on the agency of God, but I did look at all of them with a thick-tooth comb or whatever, I don't know what metaphor. You know, I skimmed it. And of all the passages and all the sections of the Bible that deal with the agency of God, and how we as people encourage God to act in our lives. Did you know that at least as much, if not more, than prayer is being weak before God? Well, that's kind of weird. Why is that? Well, the Bible says this. This is Paul speaking here about what God spoke to him. Each time God said to me, my grace, because Paul was having a problem, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. The Bible tells us that the only way that the power of God can work in our lives is if we are weak. What does it mean to be weak? It means that we are not in authority in our lives. We are not on the throne in our lives. Bible says that for us to be, for God to be strong, we must be weak. And so for us to experience the power of God in our lives means that we have to get off the throne of our lives and allow God to be on that throne. For us to be weak means that we have to be willing to admit that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, that God will do a better job managing our lives than us. Hey, you know what happens when you get famous? I'm not famous. I've been saying this all three services like as if I know, but I don't, but Michael Jackson, let's use him as an example. You know what happens when you get famous? Michael Jackson is a good example. Michael Jackson 
like most famous people, believed his own press, right? And he believed that he could do what? Anything he wanted. Be Peter Pan, have Neverland, you know, do crazy things. Name his kids all the same name or something like that, you know? And everybody around him, because they worshipped him, said, oh, yeah, whatever you want, Michael. It's all good. It's all good. Most people will never experience the power of God in their lives because they are unwilling to give up their own press, their belief that they've got everything together, that they're okay, enough to allow God to take control of their lives. You know why it doesn't work for the people on TV to tell people, if you just pray and you just have faith, God's going to do this. You give him money, he's going to give you money back. Because those people, by and large, are not submitted to God. And the people hearing it are not submitted to God. They're just looking at the power of God, but not his personality. If anything, it offends God. Because God doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants our heart. That's what God wants. He wants our heart. So it's ironic in a way. Because if I came here tonight and I told you, look, all you need to pray is to do to have the experience of God in your life. The more experience of God in your life is to pray and have faith. Everyone would have been happy. But I have the bad news of telling you that, you know what? If you really look at the most important to least important, this one's the most important all the way back to prayer, which is actually the least important. Why do I say prayer is the least important? Well, it's not unimportant, but it's least important in this situation because unless you have a life that's completely yielded to God, unless you're living the way God wants you to do and following in Christ's footsteps, unless you believe in Him personally, not just His power, only then do when you ask God to intercede in your life will He do it. That's it. But most people want to start with prayer and command God to do, God, you must do this. If you're real, you must, you got to do. You know, I asked last week, why does God answer crazy prayers more than church prayers? What are crazy prayers? You're like in Vietnam, everybody's shooting at you. God, if you save me, I'll give up everything. I'll serve you forever. He seems to answer those prayers kind of a lot. But he doesn't answer church prayers where we sit in here and we're like, God, help me with my mortgage. Help me. Why doesn't he, why is the answer one and not the other? Well, the one is oftentimes spoken with complete, complete abandonment and surrender to God. And it's something that church prayers can never seem to get close enough to. Because we're still, in church, we're oftentimes still in the manipulation mode. We're in the sacrifice mode. We're in the Pharisee mode. We're not in the desperate for God mode. God answers prayers when we're desperate for Him. God acts when we are weak, not when we are strong. You know... Nothing turns off God, I would say, more than when we go to God from a position of authority. What must it be like to be God and to hear uh, TV preachers or other people say, you, God, have to do this? Bad thing. What would happen if I went to my wife and said, you have the power to do it, you better do it. That's gonna, I'm going to get very far with that, won't I? Won't I, Right? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be good for like a month with that. Hey, Noel, you got the power to do it. You better get in doing it right now. Oh, yeah, that's going to work. No, it's not going to work. In fact, you'll find in marriage, you'll find in most, in most friendships, you'll find that the more yielded you are to the other person, 
the more sacrificial you are, the more likely that person will be receptive as well. It's the same thing, same principle, same idea. Here's the challenge that you have to decide. You have to decide tonight, if you want God to act more in your life, it's going to take more than you just offering some sacrifices. If you want God to act in your life, it's going to actually require you to no longer be king of your own life, to get off the throne and allow God to be king. But that's the hardest thing of all. Are you up to it? That's my question. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord, and we pray that we might be able to know you and have a relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to come into our lives, to uh, open up the door so that we could have a relationship with you to begin with. That, Father, we don't want to be, if we're here tonight, Lord, we're just going to pray, we don't want to be king of our lives anymore. Lord, we want you to be in control. We want to just give our lives to Christ. We want to give our lives to you. We want to commit our lives completely, Father, so that we can experience your work in our lives. Father, I pray tonight for each of us that it would not just be prayer and faith, but it would be a life serving you and being weak to you, Father. Lord, that those things would happen and that you would challenge us to live our lives that way so that we could experience your power every day. Father, I pray for each person here tonight that they would experience your power in a real and tangible way in their lives, that they would, they would be willing to do these things. They would just do whatever it takes to experience you. Father, I pray that that would happen. In Jesus' name, amen.